If you're new, welcome to Element. We don't normally hand you little Dixie cups of water like you're at the dentist, and we want you to swig and spit. But uh, if, you, if you don't own a Bible, there's Bibles in the back. You can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There's sermon notes on all the community tables around the room. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app called Uversion. And in Uversion, you click on Live, and it'll bring us up based on GPS where you're at. And you will get the sermon notes from this morning with all the verses and all the notes that are on things. The only thing you don't get in Uversion is the questions on the back. So if you want, if you have a small group and or some friends and you want to go over questions about this morning's message, you can do that with the questions on the back of the sermon notes on those tables. So uh, Financial Peace University, our uh, money class, it starts in January. Hopefully by this point you have saved 56 bucks up, maybe, no. If you normally come to Sunday night services, the Sunday night after Christmas, the 26th, there is no Sunday night service. Because it seems as the closer we get to Christmas, the numbers on Sunday night just kind of dive. Because, I don't know why. It, it's probably me. I just blame it on me for everything. And so there's no Sunday night service next week. And then the, the rain is dampening your spirits, I can tell. That's all I'm saying. Uh, we did a thing called Christmas for Kids yesterday. Christmas for Kids is where we go out and we try to uh, help some families who are falling through the cracks. Uh, in our in our society today, so uh, some people they they don't make uh, enough to get their kids presents, but they make too much to get any type of government assistance whatsoever. So we go out and we we feed uh, some families breakfast. We take them out Christmas shopping for uh, presents and stuff. And I like this one. That one's cool. So uh, the, the kids get a Christmas. And this year, just to let you know, you guys uh, donated more this year than you have any other year in the past which is awesome because we, we had five more kids this year than we had last year. And, and with the, the current economic stuff that's going on, you guys are just amazing. So thank you very much. You really made some kids this Christmas. It's great. Okay. I want you guys to stand there reading God's Word. I can already tell how this sermon is going to go right now. See? <laughs> this is 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. And it says, The Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And, then, and after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after, that, after the fire came a gentle whisper. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would take us as your children and teach us to learn how to hear you and the things that you long to say to us that we could have souls that are restored to be the people you call us to be, and that we could hear your voice, listen to your words, and then do what you call us to do as your people. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in week 10, the last of the Maid series. We are done with it this week. So if you've been like, I hated this series, then we're done. Woohoo! Merry Christmas. Uh, next week is Christmas. Vacations are... Anybody going on vacation? Yay! To- Three of us are going on vacation. Ka-ching! Way go us. Wonderful. Uh, also, my favorite service of the year, the Christmas Eve service, is next week. Uh, if, you, if you've never been to a Christmas Eve service, you'll be totally surprised. Uh, it's not like anything else that we really do. Uh, it, they're, they're just, they're nice. If you're like, Element's always so harsh. Element, Christmas Eve, nice. It's a nice service. You'll, you'll totally enjoy it. It's something you can actually in, invite your, your friends and, and neighbors to who might... <laughs> freak out with the loud voice, you just come Christmas Eve, they'll be like, this was nice, because it is, because it's Christmas Eve, and I love Christmas Eve, not that I don't love every time, I'm just going, okay, uh, I actually thought that my messages through the Maid series were going to be shorter than my normal messages, but apparently it hasn't worked out that way, so yeah, go us, uh, if you're new, so we did this series called Maid, welcome, you missed it, 
Okay, uh, you get all online, they're, they're all free, you get what you pay for, but this is the idea that God made each one of us unique, that he likes that. It is interesting to me that this idea of uniqueness is what so many religions in the world try to get rid of. You know, they say we all go to heaven, we look the same, we act the same, we all like the same things, and apparently that means we stare glassy-eyed at Jesus and sing songs for all of eternity. I, I don't actually think so. I think God likes us unique, he enjoys the quirks that are us. I think eternity is going to be about plumbing the depths of who God is. It's not about us, it is about him. And I believe we will do that in community, but we also do that uniquely. So our goal in this series of made has been try to help you understand who God eat, who God is, how God sees you and that your eyes must always be upon Christ to ever properly understand you. So we started talking about how we have to trust God that he made us how he wanted us to be even when we don't understand it we trust him and that is essentially that whole first week what we talked about then we talked about spiritual growth we talked about our strengths and our weaknesses we talked about what it means to be truly human we talked about worry we talked about difficult people we talked about god's spirit at work and god's spirit and in repentance and conviction we talked about feeding your mind with scripture and this we're going to end the whole thing with softer you go what yeah softer follow me you'll see what i mean uh, my wife has a wee fit anybody have a wee fit anybody have a wee Okay, you should get the Wii Fit. It, it's kind of kind of crazy. Uh, I, sometimes I play it, but I really only play the Wii Fit because it keeps score, and I like that. Because even in yoga, it keeps score. I can beat somebody in yoga. It's 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 an amazing amazing machine. And yoga, I mean, you mostly just stretch, right? But on a good day, I can like touch my right about there. See, so I'm 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 looking good. I, I think you should be able to beat somebody just about anything. So thank you, Lee, for giving me the ability. But when you stretch, here's the deal. You don't make it happen by simply trying harder to stretch. You actually have to relax. You have to let go. You got to let gravity do its work. You essentially are opening yourself up to something that's a greater force than you. In this case, gravity. And this is not just true when it comes to stretching. As a general rule, the harder you work to try to control something, the more you lose control. The harder you try to fix something, the more your muscles tense up. The harder you try to impress someone on a date or if you're trying to make a sale, which is kind of the same thing. You know, the more you try and do that, the more you force a conversation, the more you come across as simply being pushy. The harder that you try to cling to people, the more apt they are to push you away. Now, trying harder can work great when it comes to cleaning your room, calling relatives you really don't like, or running another lap. But for us who truly want to become the people God calls us to be, you need a power that's simply stronger than trying harder. I mean, imagine someone walks up to you and they say, you know, try harder to relax. Or you can't sleep at night. Some of this, try harder to sleep. It, it really doesn't work. Try harder to be graceful. Try harder not to worry. Try harder to be joyful. There are limits to what trying harder can accomplish. In the Gospels, the, those who got in the most trouble with Jesus were the ones who were trying the hardest because their trying took their eyes and their focus off of God and onto themselves and what they were doing. They were trying so hard to be good that they couldn't stop thinking about how hard they were trying and it caused them to stop loving God and people. If you have a Bible, open to Psalm chapter 23. Psalm chapter 23. The problem with trying harder is sometimes we get so fixated on our own heroic efforts that we become judgmental. I mean, if trying harder is producing spiritual growth in your life, great, keep it up. But if not, you try softer. You try different. Uh, the Spirit of God throughout the Scriptures is seen as running water, uh, living water. This is the Spirit. It is not you. Franciscan priest Richard Rohr wrote this. He says, Faith does not need to push the river because faith is able to trust that there is a river. The river is flowing and we need to be in it. Trying softer, trying different means focusing on God and His goodness and not your own because you have none. It's focusing upon who He is and not upon who you are. It is allowing God to restore your souls. 
Psalm chapter 23, starting in verse 1, says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It's like, oh, I've heard this at a funeral. This is all about life. It's, it's not about death. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. I want to show you some things in this. Quiet waters. This is the word manuha. Everybody say manuha. Like manuha. Manuha. Uh, this is the words manuha meim, and it means peace and stillness and harmony. Some rabbinic commentaries on manuha say that in the seventh day, God created manuha. He creates peace and stillness and rest. It is a thing that actually had to be created. It's a thing, and you enter into it. He leaves me beside quiet, serene, harmonious waters. Now, you all have a cup of water, right? So I'll up your cup of water like this. Again, don't drink it. We got the water out of the toilets. It will kill you instantly, and we will all know you weren't listening to me. So I want you to shake your cup, and then let it go. Now shake it. Shake it harder. Mine actually says, beer here now on the back. Just interesting. And you shake it. Shake it again. Then let it stop. Then shake it. <laughs> You're getting water on me. First service, I did this, and I spilled all over my notes. It was, it was just wonderful. Now, if you describe the state of your soul when you shake the cup, would it be shaky or would it be calm? Still water. Would it be shaky or calm? Anybody need more than one cup to figure it out? Yeah? Okay. The text tells you that God takes you from shaky to quiet, restored clarity. The psalmist connects the pictures of these waters with the state of his own soul. He said, you can actually drink it. It wasn't from the toilet, just letting you know. Uh, he takes it from shaky to peaceful. Quiet water. This has been a blessing to a shepherd in this region. In the wilderness, it does not rain much at all. The ground is rock hard. So if you got rain, it could either evaporate really fast or because the ground is so hard, you get a flash flood. You can be 10 miles away. They could get rain on a mountain and it could create a flash flood for you. As a matter of fact, a few years ago, in the region where David would have been a shepherd, where he would have been very familiar with these words, middle of the sunny day, a 70-foot wall of water came just barreling through the area because rain hit somewhere else and it ran so fast down the thing. So you'd have no water, rapid waters, but still waters. Now that is something amazing. A spring, a calm river. This has pastoral and spiritual significance. God wants to take our souls from shaky and restore them to calm. Now, how many of us, can you, could you use that in your life a little bit? Yeah, especially at Christmas, right? The tennis is supposed to be peace on earth, but I'm like a shaky glass of water. That's what I am. <laughs> the word restore is the word shuv. It means to refresh, to restore. It's a very common word. The word for repent is the word teshuva, which means to turn or return. Repenting essentially means you return home to God. It is used 71 times in the book of Psalms. Repentance is like returning home to God. Now, the word for soul is the word nefesh. You're like, I got a lot of words this morning. Yes, the word nefesh, this refers to a person or a life. The word comes from a very ancient word, which essentially means to breathe. So a nefesh was something that was capable of breath. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. These are the words, a living soul. It's the words, che nefesh. A soul breathes. Taking in air makes you different than the rest of creation. God refreshes our soul. God restores our life. God shoes us to our nefesh. Now, if somebody asks you what you learned in church this morning, you say, God shoes me to my nefesh. And they say, what? And you go, yeah, me too. I don't know. I was just talking. 
mean, God revives our humanity, who He truly created us to be. You are not just a cog in the gears. You are not just a number. God restores our humanity, what it means to be human, who you were made to be, softer, different. God returns us to our breathing, to what our souls were supposed to experience. Everybody breathe in. Breathe out slow and calm. That's the state of what our souls are supposed to live in. Realizing who we are made to be in the person of Christ. Feels good. Feels right. It's not about trying harder. Now, if I got you here and you're like, breathing nice, I'm going to read you something and I'm going to hit you. Luke 17, 7-10 says this. Just Jesus talking. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, come along now and sit down and to eat? Would he rather not say, prepare my supper, get yourself uh, ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that, you may eat and drink. Would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. And when you read that, sometimes people's breathing changes. Like, really? You know, you're thinking, I thought it wasn't about trying harder. It's not about trying harder. I want you to see how this all goes together. Most people feel like this is a strange parable from Jesus who seemed to be like Mr. Servanthood. You know, why wouldn't the master fix dinner for his servants? But this isn't a story about labor relations. Jesus is addressing our tendency to be over-impressed with how hard we are trying. Oh, I was in the field working hard all day for God. God owes me. No, God doesn't owe you anything. He doesn't, but he gives you grace. When we learn to walk in grace and the reviving that God brings, we even have a tendency to twist that, to focus back on ourselves. We are lost and blind even to our own blindness. People see therapists and pastors every single day for anxiety, addiction, anger problems, but hardly anybody goes in to talk to us about their pride problem. Almost nobody. In another parable, Jesus is talking about this Pharisee who thinks God, he's not like this terrible, horrible little tax collector. And many Christians read this parable and they go, oh, that Pharisee thought he had his earn his way into God's favor, but I'm smarter than that guy. My theology is right. Thank God I'm better than that guy who thought he was better than everybody else. That's what we do with these stories. And that is not God reviving your nefesh. When God is your desire, the calmness of your soul becomes natural. God, Jesus, must be our desires. Now, I need that as the background for what we talked about the rest of this morning because if you don't have that as the background, you might miss what I'm actually trying to tell you. Because God gives us desires, He plants those in us, but we can only really understand those when our souls have been renewed and refreshed and brought home. So when that has happened, then you let your desires lead you where God is leading you. When you have a shoe of nefesh. What that means, it's kind of like this. You have two athletic nine-year-olds who start taking swimming lessons. One begins because he has seen the Olympic Games and he wants more than anything else in the world to win an Olympic medal. So he surrounds himself with pictures of the Olympics. Uh, he sees himself like on the podium in his mind. He listens and sings a national anthem every single day. The other kid starts lessons because his dad makes him take swimming lessons. Which one is more apt to make it to the Olympics? The one who swims for his dream. You have two 22-year-olds. They have a goal to save $10,000. One of them has a dream. I'm going to buy a used sports car. This one I've always wanted. You know, It'll mean new independence for me. The other one's saving because he feels like he has to. Who do you think will reach $10,000 first? Who's willing to keep track of their expenses? Who's going to eat cheaply for go new clothes? The one who saves for his dream. In Genesis 28 and 29, Jacob is a guy who falls in, with, in love with a girl named Rachel so deeply he agrees to work seven years to pay her dowry. In Genesis 29 20, it says, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Who would regard seven years of work as a couple of days? 
the one who's working for his dream. That's who. When Jesus describes life with God, he sits like a man who finds treasure buried in a field and he joyfully sells everything he has to go and get that field. He sits like a merchant who finds a pearl of great value, gets rid of everything he has just to get this pearl. And when people hear Jesus' message and call, we have this desire awakened within us when our souls are restored. We see how Jesus lived his life. We become drawn to his peace and his courage and his wisdom. And the thought goes off that, man, that's how I need to live. I need to know that. And we cannot conjure up this desire on demand. So how do you and your restored and afesh desire the things of God? That's what I talked about the second week of this series. What do you like? What do you like? God implants desires in us. And we have a restored soul. These desires make perfect sense to us. What do you like? Your lycometer, that's what I'll call it, your lycometer is running since the day that you were born. You know, babies have taste receptors that are pretty well developed. You know, even babies, it's like something goes in, it's like, oh, I like that. Something they don't like, it goes right back out. We have this this lycometer. As you grow, everything in your life is going to register on your lycometer without you ever having to think about it. You know, the water in the cup that we give you, oh, that's terrible water. Oh, that's better water I get at home. You know, whatever it is, it all registers. Every sound you hear, every conversation you're a part of, every bite you eat rates positively or negatively. And then people around you are also rating on that scale. You know, people that you kind of like, people you really like, people you really don't like, they're all right on your scale somewhere. And the same time you do that, everybody else is doing that to you as well. It's always going on. So here's a thought to consider. Do you like God? Do you like God? Because if you don't like being with God and you don't like Him, you simply will not be with Him much at all. And you've got to be honest about this because you're not going to fake God out. He knows how you feel. And so the point is not to make you feel guilty about you know, wanting God more because should never has the power to get your soul there. What God does throughout Scripture is He says, I am going to restore your soul. And when your store is resold, you will understand the desires that I give you. When you understand those desires, you're going to love me more than anything else in the world. In Psalm 38, 4, He says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. This is an experimental word. It is written from like a confident chef that says, Taste it, you're going to love it. This is a confident chef. God is confident that when you walk in His ways, you are going to want to continue to walk in His ways. I have talked to so many people over the years in my office who have sat down and said, you know, I I, I really just just want to serve and follow God. And I remember when I I first became a believer and I was reading my Bible and hanging out with, with other believers and I was praying. I felt so close to God. I just don't feel close to God anymore. And I'm like, well, do you pray? Do you hang out with believers? Do you read your scriptures? No. It's like, how do you expect to develop relationships with someone if you never talk to them, if you never spend time with them? How are you supposed to develop that relationship? God's like, and you think back to those early days, and it's like, oh, I love those days. Yes, yes, that's what you're supposed to experience all the time, walking with Him. And so you use your authentic desires to taste and see that the Lord is good. God made you with desires. He wants you to desire Him most of all. There's a pattern to all of our desires. Certain activities, certain uh, sensations, people, thoughts wake up our souls. These are desires that God gives you. They are part of who God wants you to be. When people enjoy what God has created, His heart is pleased. He gets worship. He likes that. Too many people think in a religiously kind of way that's like, oh, if I want to be spiritual, I have to avoid sin. The best way to avoid sin is to just get rid of all of my desire. If I just didn't want sex or money or food or success, I'd be really spiritual because then I wouldn't sin. Right, but you wouldn't be human either. It's like a slab of cement. It doesn't have to worry about weeds, but it's never going to be a garden. Uh, we, th- fine, boy, you guys are quick today. 
God wants to restore our souls. And when our souls are restored, we can have uncorrupted desires again. And these desires can be amazing because they're part of God's design. The psalmist actually says about God, Psalm 145, 16, You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Verse 19, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He hears the cry, their cry and saves them. God is a desire-creating, desire-satisfying God. He made birds with an impulse to fly. So what do they do? Fly. Dolphins to swim with an instinct to swim. Because why? Because He made them to swim. So that's what they do. God doesn't plant wrong desires in His creatures. How did Adam know that he's supposed to become one flesh with his wife Eve? Do you think God put it on his to-do list? Oh, okay, Adam, name the animals, take out the trash, and by the way, have sex with Eve. No, Adam looks at Eve and he's like, I got desires. This is amazing. Where do those desires come from? God! It's like, God? Yes! God gives Adam the desire to want to have sex with his wife. He's a good God. There's a beautiful prayer from the Book of Common Prayers. And it starts like this. Most holy God, the source of all good desires. Yes. Yes, that's what it is. And you may think, oh, my desire is to get loaded all the time. No. No. That means you don't have a properly shoved nefesh. Nothing makes a human being more vulnerable to temptation than not being restored by God. Your soul is restored and the desires, they begin to make sense. God's plan is that every time you experience an authentic desire, a God-implanted desire, we come to understand more deeply what a good God He is. And we learn how God has wired us and what He wants us to do. As a result, we find ourselves loving God more and more and more. That is how you taste and see that the Lord is good. And this desire that He places in us can be part of God's Spirit that lives and flows through us with power and energy. Now, the reason I did this as the very last week of the Made series is because I didn't want you to get the wrong idea. We've talked about a lot of stuff all done with God's Spirit, trusting in Christ, you know, our, our spiritual lives and all that. I'm going to give you four types of desires. And the, these are, you may think, oh, these aren't very spiritual. I think they're very spiritual because they're physical and spiritual, never meant to be separated. So here are four types of desires. The first one are called material desires. Material desires. We all have material desires. These are desires attached to money, clothes, cars, houses. You could purge away all sin from the entire world and you would, you would still desire material things because God made material things. All stuff ultimately is part of God's creation. And therefore it's all good and therefore it's all desirable. I mean, like this. Do you like money? Okay. Don't love money. Okay. Love money is really evil, but it's okay. Money's cool. It's a good thing. I wish I had more. Uh, in Ecclesiastes, it says money is the answer for all problems. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, in Acts 16, you got a lady. Her name is Lydia. She's a businesswoman dealing in textiles. She's the first convert to Christianity in Europe. Now imagine the drive and passion it takes for a woman in that time in the world to succeed in business. And she's good enough at it that she owned her own home, which was large enough that it became part of her ministry. Lydia's house became the first meeting place of the first church in the history of Europe. All the other churches over the ages, you know, Notre Dame, the Sistine Chapel, Westminster Abbey, the very first one in Europe was the home of this Philippian businesswoman named Lydia. Okay, now maybe you have a flair for money, like Lydia. Maybe you enjoy it. Awesome. But if that desire in you chokes your generosity, if it causes you to live in debt, creates chronic dissatisfaction, then your waters are not calmed. You have not allowed Christ to shove you during a fesh to restore you who you're supposed to be. But when He does, and the Spirit flows in you, God will give you creative ways how to be generous and how to share what you have, just like He did with Lydia. Uh, is, it, is it a bad thing to like fast cars? No, no. It's a material desire. God may have placed that desire in fa- for fast cars within you so you could be a policeman, 
You can chase down bad guys, drive really fast, make it all legal. Maybe place a Zyre in you so you would drive fast to give the policeman something to do. I don't know. Material desire. Second one, uh, achievement desires. Oh, is it wrong to achieve? No, it's not wrong to achieve at all. There, there have been few people in the history of the world driven and motivated by achievement more than the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's just an amazing guy. He was constantly moving, teaching, building, motivating. He describes his life with metaphors like 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. God never took Paul's desire to achieve away. Rather, he harnessed it. And he used Paul then to serve other people. The writer in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. It is a good thing to want to achieve. But if your achievement desires are leading you to workaholism, if it leads you to worshiping status, to neglecting prayer, to using people, then you don't have a properly shuv nefesh. And God longs to restore your soul so you can use the ability to achieve to accomplish good for others, to bring glory to His name. And you will know that it is not you doing it. It is you doing it through His strength. The third one's called relational desires. And we all have relational desires. And they're good things. In Second Samuel in the Old Testament, you read about a friendship between a guy named Jonathan and, and King David. You know, Jonathan was Saul's son. He's the apparent heir to the throne. But he would have voluntarily given this up because he knew his friend David was God's choice to be the next king. Jonathan wanted to be friends more than he wanted to be king. And Jonathan had to overcome unbelievable barriers to build his relationship with David. And there's a good chance when you start friendships that you will have to overcome barriers. Maybe in your life you feel like, man, I've got a gift for hospitality. I love people coming over. I love talking to people. Great. Throw parties on a regular basis. You know, invite people into your home where talk is flowing and laughter is flowing and new friendships are being forged. I mean, if, if you are not in a small group but you love hospitality, great. We'd love for you to host one. We want to get everybody into a gospel community. Everybody in a small group with other believers. Because it's, ama- it's an amazing thing. God created us to be in groups with other people. Now, if you, uh, your relational desires lead you to codependence, where you're always worried about what other people are thinking, or you do things simply because, oh, people will like me if I do that, then you don't have a properly shuv nefesh. God longs to restore your soul so that you can live and walk in the correct desires that He longs to give you. And the last one is physical desires. Physical desires. Uh, because your body was made by God, you also have appetites for things to eat, drink, touch, see. Physical desires. I mean, the Old Testament, I love this because God commands His people through the Old Testament to feast, to eat, to drink, to celebrate, to sing, to dance, to shout, and make music together, together. And these are all things we do with our bodies. These appetites, these desires and delights become a way of remembering how our good God has given these things to us and can lead us to become more joy-filled people. But if you don't have a properly issue of nefesh, you can lead to gluttony and lust and addictions. God longs to restore your soul so you can experience this world that He made the way He intended you to interact with it. We learn to connect the gift which we love with the giver whom we always want to love more. It's like Kierkegaard said, you start with what you already like and know and you work your way back to its source. All good things come from Christ. You taste and see the Lord is good. You should really like God more than anybody else in the entire world because He is amazing. The physical is never separated from the spiritual. It is the spirit who makes our bodies come to life. I would love to see 
uh, some people who are hairdressers. You know, start like a hairdresser's ministry, ministry or people like from, from the shelters. I mean, it sound odd as the only hairdresser I know in the Bible was Delilah. That didn't work out so well. You know, but, you know, serving people by cutting their hair, that, that's a good thing. People will sometimes tell hairdressers things they never tell anybody else. I would love to see people who know how to cook and like they're chefs and, the, and they're very good at it. Teach other people how to make meals that are, are good and don't taste like dirt. You know, they're, they're, they're healthy and good for you, and yet we can start to eat how we're supposed to eat. I would love to see fashion designers create clothes that cover all the baby-making parts but still are hot, you know? I, I would love to see entertainers make, make good entertainment and musicians make good music because when we start to experience it this way, we thank God that He gave us the bodies He did so we can hear and touch and laugh and dance and see that God is good. God made us to be whole. This means we also enjoy His creation. We don't go live up on a mountain and get rid of every desire. We learn how to have a properly shoot effect so our desires are God's desires in us. When you open yourself up to Christ, reviving your nefesh, God's Spirit will flow through your physical desires. You'll begin to love God more and more. Not because you should or because it's commanded, but because you get to know Him. And when you get to know Him, you just can't help it. I mean, what else could you do? Because He is so good. He revives our soul. And we love Him for it. And a revived soul at the end of this whole thing of, of made, a revived soul is ultimately who we were made to be. People living alive. Now, Christmas. I love Christmas because I think it's all about this revived soul. Jesus comes and then He lives and He dies and He rises from the dead so we can be a people who can have restored souls again. So our waters can be calm. So we can function and interact with the world the way God intended for us to. This, again, is one of the reasons every week we invite you guys to communion. I mean, in Christmas, you see communion today as a gift. It is God's gift to us to revive our nefesh, to restore our souls. So you take that cracker and you break it like Jesus' body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, which represents His blood that was shed for you and I. So we can be a people who have a properly shoved nefesh. The band's going to come up. And they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, take a moment before you take Be careful walking around the room because the floor is wet and... More than one person has gone down this morning, okay? Poor little Alex back here, you know, he comes first service. He's like, I'm late. Boom. It was beauty in, in motion. And see, I can enjoy that because I have a proper issue in the fish. So I left. Uh, if, if you are in a place where you just feel like your soul is in turbulent waters and you really need uh, help to calm that down, there'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And they would love to pray with you to help you to have a properly shuv nefesh. Uh, there's offering boxes on the sidewalk in the back. And we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is then part of our worship. So we worship Him through our giving. We give you the opportunity every single week. And then also there's a whole bunch of cookies in the back. If you brought some, yours are going to be in the back. And if you like yours better than everybody else's, then eat yours. And be like, ha ha, mine's better, whatever. But get to know some other people. Because people who have a properly shuv nefesh will be in relationships with other people. We will, we will learn how to deal with the, the hardships of relationships, but also the joys as well. And again, our, our goal for everyone is to be part of a gospel community, a small group at some point. There's also a sign-up in the back. It's always there if you want to be part of a small group because we'd love to see you in one. Guys, I, again, this series that we did on being made, it came about at the last minute, and so I kind of wrote it at the last minute, but I thought it was something good for us to go through. Be who God made you to be. Be who He made you to be. Allow Him to restore your soul and live with the desires that He gives you in a great way. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for being a God that loves us so much that you give us proper desires. That you love us more than we could ever comprehend. And yet you speak to us intimately. So we would know what you call us to. Have us be a people. Even though so often we feel like we have these turbulent waters swishing around in our souls. Have us be a people who would take that and lay it at your feet so our souls can experience the calm waters. So when the desires of our lives come up, they're properly shoved. Father, thank you for restoring our souls and loving us more than we can ever imagine. So have us live as a redeemed and restored humanity, bringing glory to you by all that we do, by fully embracing everything around us that you have given us as good gifts. That how we live with the desires that you created for us will bring you much worship and honor and glory. For you are our God, and nothing compares to you. Amen.